0: It was May 31st, 2020. Insurrectionary protests had been raging for days. A spontaneous nationwide uprising against police violence and systemic racism was well underway after the murder of George Floyd. President Trump thought that he could crush it with a tweet. The United States of America will be designating Antifa as a terrorist organization, the president said. Experts and pundits scoffed. Trump has vowed to label Antifa a terrorist organization. The problem is, is that there's no US law that would allow a group to be designated in this way.
1: Constitutional experts question whether the federal government has the authority to label a domestic group as terrorists for practicing their First Amendment rights to free speech.
0: But his plan faces yet another hurdle. Antifa, short for anti-fascist, is not an organization as such. Instead, it's a leaderless movement. It remains unclear if Antifa is behind any of the recent violence, according to authorities. But top officials at the Department of Homeland Security weren't second-guessing the legal authority, and they wanted to flex their muscles in Portland, Oregon. By July, they would be using the flimsy pretext of protecting federal property to unleash U.S. security forces on the city, employing dirty war-style tactics snatching people off the street and bundling them in unmarked cars, publicly circulating dossiers critical of journalists who obtained leaks from the agency, breaking the bones of peaceful demonstrators with clubs and so-called less lethal munitions. One nurse told the New York Times she joined the protest after treating, quote, an uptick of patients with injuries caused by rubber bullets and other police munitions. People are coming in with their jaws falling off, she said. A DHS was gearing up for all of this weeks in advance, around the time of the Antifa tweet that was posted by Trump and met with dismissals. According to emails we obtained through the Freedom of Information Act, top agency officials wrote to one another vowing to employ counter-terror tactics and to attack an imagined network of anti-fascist operations. One official, then acting chief of staff John Guntanis, used language like he was George W. Bush denouncing the 9-11 hijackers. This is a fight between good versus evil, Guntanis said on May 30th. I don't mean to sound corny, but we need to be black and white on this issue. Guntanis added that he was drafting talking points on the domestic terrorism front, which resonated with a public affairs officer named Jameson Morgan, who urged colleagues, quote, to be thinking about the DHS-CT framework and how it applies to this situation. CT means counterterrorism. Both men were down thread of another public affairs officer, Alexei wolf who had circulated a video of Trump for suggested use in a DHS tweet aimed at Portland. The violence and vandalism is being led by Antifa, and other radical left-wing groups who are terrorizing the innocent
1: destroying jobs hurting businesses and burning down buildings
0: this of course was egged on by the acting secretary of dhs chad wolf wolf had previously said upthread that protesters in portland were becoming increasingly sophisticated by enthusiastically pointing to a questionable claim passed along from within the agency which alleged that local police officers encrypted communications had been hacked. Wolf said, quote, See below. Protesters comprised, he means compromised, encrypted radio comms. Looking for an angle to push, perhaps it's the fact that these folks are more organized, etc. End of quote. Looking for an angle to push, he said. Interestingly, four days later on June 3rd, The Portland Police Bureau decided to encrypt its scanner communications in a move that received significant attention in the local media. There were no contemporaneous reports of police alleging that their encrypted channels had been compromised, which is something you'd think they would have publicized as they were pushing back against criticism, saying that encryption was more important than transparency because they needed to protect their officers. These emails add to what's already known about the brutal DHS response to Portland. It was highly politicized, even for an agency founded amid fire and brimstone declarations in the wake of 9 11. A lot of that has come from reporting that has shed light on an office within DHS called Intelligence and Analysis, or INA. An inspector general report would later criticize then leader Brian Murphy for circulating the reports critical of journalists, for casting a wide net to search for an Antifa anarchist network, and even for demanding that all protesters arrested in Portland were labeled violent anarchists by default. And the emails we obtained are consistent with the criticism. On May 31st, hours after Trump's Twitter declaration, Murphy discussed matters with Ken Cuccinelli, the hardline conservative picked by Trump to serve as acting head of immigration services, The ANTIFA evidence is out there in quantity, Murphy told Cuccinelli, ANTIFA in all caps. We are putting it together. Cuccinelli replied, thanks. I will be particularly interested in what I can publicize quickly. The evidence never came. In October, after the uprising died down, Associated Press reporters examined thousands of federal court documents and found, quote, the only apparent mention of ANTIFA is in a Boston case, in which authorities said a FBI gang task force member was investigating suspected Antifa activity when a man fired at him and other officers. Authorities have not claimed that the man accused of firing the shots is a member of Antifa. And journalists were waiting for the Antifa arrest as protests were ongoing, and this was noticed by DHS officials very early on. On June 9th, a public affairs official named Sophia Boza Holman, who, by the way, she would later go on to marry former Congressman Adam Kinzinger. Uh is that too distracting of a factoid here? No, I can keep, I can keep up. Okay, so public affairs official Sophia Boza Holman, she circulated an NPR report. Uh, this was on. Wait, are June they 9th. still
1: married? I believe so. So her name is Sophia Boza Holden Kinzinger I don't know if she took his name If she did Right I, I mean she she might still go
0: by Boza Holman Like you know It's, it's 2023 uh, Anyway So um, Sophia Boza Holman on June 9th Circulates an NPR Maybe report Kinzinger. Maybe Kinzinger <laughs> So I guess it was too distracting <laughs> An NPR report is circulated It finds no mention of Antifa in federal court cases related to the uprising Again, June 9th Staffer Tyler Holton replied I was under the impression that we were just waiting for Antifa cases to be filed Is that no longer true? Tyler, that's what I thought as well Said Deputy Chief of Staff Scott Erickson At least that's what INA has said recently A dozen cases or so But again, nothing would come. And this wasn't for lack of effort on INA's part. This is according to uh, the DHS Inspector General. On June 3rd, INA started preparing to assemble so-called baseball cards on arrested protesters. This refers to an information-gathering tactic that's usually reserved for known terrorists. By June 5th, INA uh, was asking analysts to label protesters, quote, Anarchist extremist, without sufficient facts to support such a characterization. Analysts also complained about being ordered to conduct dragnet surveillance targeting anyone in the orbit of anyone arrested. Quote, the collection of the account names of the subject's friends and followers and interest groups he or she followed. INA also attempted to interrogate prisoners in detention, which uh, we talked about in a recent episode of Sentinel Radio uh, discussing a public discussing a Politico article on legally suspect DHS surveillance, uh, INA also tried to exploit the cell phones of those arrested by both federal and local police. And even though nothing came up through all of this, Murphy still insisted on pinning the blame on anarchists the Antifa, much to the chagrin of his own subordinates, the IG report again, quote, this may have made sense to Mr. Murphy based on his own beliefs, but INA did not have collections evidence to show it. an absent reporting or some other evidence on motivation, INA analysts could not ascribe motivation to the violent actors as Mr. Murphy expected. For weeks, the analysts had been telling Mr. Murphy that because Antifa was not in the collection, it could not be put into the analysis. Notwithstanding this feedback on July 25th, 2020, Mr. Murphy sent an email to his senior leadership instructing them that henceforth the violent opportunists in portland were to be reported as violent antifa anarchist inspired v-a-a-i (laughs) unless the intel showed something different murphy was removed from his post five days later funny enough uh murphy claimed that he was disciplined because he blew the whistle (laughs) he said he uh He accused uh, political appointees of downplaying reports on Russian election interference, which, of course, uh, embarrassed the Trump administration. And he also responded to some of this criticism and defended his fixation on anarchists in Antifa because, quote, one person was murdered in Portland over political reasons. The killer, Michael Forrest Reinhold, was a self-described member of Antifa. Now, (laughs) granted... This is not the best example to cite if you're trying to justify the heavy-handed response uh, in Portland, because if President Trump himself is to be believed, Reinald was the victim of an extrajudicial execution.
1: We sent in the U.S. Marshals. Took 15 minutes it was over. 15 minutes it was over. We got him. They knew who he was, they didn't want to arrest him, Fifteen minutes,
0: that ended. And while the Justice Department oversees the U.S. Marshals, not DHS, we can see the mentality that led to this Dirty War-style killing in the DHS emails from May and June, desperately searching for an anarchist boogeyman pulling the strings and uh, making this nationwide uprising happen.
1: You know, I'm, I'm willing to hear Murphy out a little bit on this. I'm uh, not too familiar with the Reinhold killing. Maybe we could dig a little deeper into that. Maybe the the government can investigate it a little bit more to make sure that this uh, is a good example to cite. Yeah, maybe maybe they should. One more note on this thing.
0: Um, when we filed this FOIA request, we actually, it was a two-parter um it was for correspondence between May 1st and June 12th, 2020. One part asked for email correspondence involving the term Antifa and uh, uh, several federal officials. And another request asked for correspondence uh, involving the same officials in the term Boogaloo, which of course, Boogaloo refers to the uh, far right insurrectionists who want to start a, a second civil war. There were no Boogaloo emails, and <laughs> huh. at, at this time frame. Granted, we know we now know more than what we did at the time, at June 12th. But even by June 12th, there were public reports that uh, on May 29th, when someone shot and killed two people in Northern California, including a DHS contractor, the person who pulled the trigger was a Boogaloo boy named Stephen Carrillo. This was already known at the time. Uh, but by all means, Brian Murphy, talk about Michael Reinhold.
1: Well, this story fits in with the one from last week about the trial underway in D.C. with the Proud Boys and the informants talking about how their handlers at the FBI never asked them questions about the Proud Boys. <laughs> they always wanted to know what left-wing groups were up to. Yeah. All right. Uh, are we and ma- are we making some documents available to the listeners?
0: Oh yes, yes. Uh, check the show description, and uh, if you want to read this, uh, these DHS correspondences that uh, I obtained, uh, there is a Google Drive link. And anyone with that link
1: should be able to access the docs. So have at it. And there it is. More file follies next week.